Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your majesty, your power, and your personal concern for each and every one of us. We pray, Father, that you would encourage us this morning through the words of Psalms, that you might help us to look up, to remember who you are, and who you've made us to be in this place. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We're on the verge of a new decade, and Many might say over the last decade, and if not the years preceding that, we have seen the explosion of reality TV on our screens, from Big Brother to Survivor, American Idol, and all the Australian versions of those shows, The Apprentice, Dancing with the Stars. There's so many of them at the moment. One of my, not favourites, but the one that I found most amusing in recent years was a reality TV show called The Gogglebox. I don't know if anyone else remembered that. When we discovered that the next evolution of reality TV is watching people watch TV because we're not, I don't know, we're just too bored. I don't know what it might is, but apparently it was a high rating show. And it feels like the human zoo in action every time a new reality TV show comes out. But for some reason, we can't stay away from them. We're like moths to the flame. We, we just love these reality TV shows. People fascinate us. Why? Why do people watching TV fascinate us? Why is Survivor more popular than a documentary on a slug, for example? Now, if you love slugs, okay, that's fine. But generally, reality TV will rate higher than those documentaries. Is there something special about being human? Is there something underlying humanity that fascinates us as well? For many people, there is nothing unique or special about being human. Some will tell us that we're just a, a complex biological machine, the product of blind forces of nature over millions and millions of years. I don't know if you've ever read the book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, there they present a view of humanity as you know, not that special, Humans are nothing but primitive animals, only the third smartest species on Earth after dolphins and mice. Now, that's their view of humanity. But on the other hand, and as reality TV will often be an expression of it, most of us feel like there is something different about being human. There is something unique and special about being human. So much so that we talk about human rights and other things like that as well. But in the big scheme of things, do we have any significance? We walk this earth for 70, 80, 90 years if we're lucky. What really changed us? What impact do we really have? What is now? It's a question that people have wrestled with for thousands and thousands of years. And it's the very question that King David, the author of Psalm 8, asks as well. What is man that you remember him? is the son of man that you look after him well. Now, if you've read any of the Psalms over the last week, you'll know that Psalm 8 really stands out in its tone, particularly in relationship to the preceding few Psalms. Psalm 1, which we looked at last week, is a great opening Psalm, encouraging us to think about God's word and delighting in it like those mango moments. Psalm 2 is another great Psalm, talking about God as king and and raising up his Christ Messiah as his human king. But then Psalm 3 to Psalm 7, the tone kind of drops a little bit. It 
a bit sad and depressing. There are cries for mercy and cries of despair and cries for justice. You know, laments and despair is really the tone of Psalm 3 to 7. And then you get to Psalm 8 today and the tone changes again. It's really an uplifting psalm of praise is Psalm 8. Why? Well, I wonder as David writes the psalms, as he's been dealing with all the trials and temptations and troubles of life that are expressed in Psalm 3 to 7, he looks up in Psalm 8 and he remembers in the midst of all the trying circumstances around him, actually God is still God and he can worship him. Someone once said that Psalm 8 is like Genesis 1 and 2 set to music. And I think that's right. As the first verse and the last verse kind of bookend the psalm. O Lord, our Lord, Yahweh, our Lord, how magnificent is your name in all the earth. And, and many people have put this psalm uh, to music as well. And if you grew up in church in the 90s, you might remember uh, songs like this as well. And it's a, a, a psalm of wonder, particularly as it's expressed in God's creation and our part as people in it and in answering the question what is men what significance do we have David says two things which I want you to see from the psalm this morning the first is the smallness of man as you read through verse 1 to 4 of Psalm 8 it should become abundantly clear firstly that God is big and compared to him mankind humanity is so small. Verse 1 again, Yahweh our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. David reminds us just how majestic God is. And not just God in abstract, but how majestic God's name is. His authority, his power, his glory covers not only the earth, but all of the heavens as well. There are many people that long to have a great name, to have their name ringing out to the ends of the earth. But we all know that the glory of celebrity is temporary at best. In a few years' time, I'm sure your kids and your grandkids will say, who was Michael Jordan again? Some of you might be saying, who's Michael Jordan now? I've heard of that name, but I don't know. Never. Human names come and spread for a time, but then diminish. But God's name is across heaven and earth. King David tells us that God has supreme authority everywhere. And in verse 2, we read that God is so glorious and so powerful that he can even use weak things like human babies to silence his enemies. Have a look at verse 2. Because of your adversaries, you have established a stronghold from the mouths of children and nursing infants to silence the enemy and the avenger. And even if we don't have our own children, those of us who are Christians know how true this verse is. We know that God used one particular baby, an infant, born outside of Bethlehem thousands of years ago to silence his enemies once and for all. Also in Matthew chapter 21, when Jesus is debating with the religious leaders and the religious leaders in their hypocrisy refuse to praise God for sending his son. Jesus says this, quoting Psalm 8 in Matthew 21. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonders that he did, 
and the children shouting in the temple complex, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant and said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, Jesus told them. Have you never read? And he quotes Psalm 8. You have prepared praise from the mouths of children and nursing infants. And who is the enemy and the avenger in Matthew 21? Except for the religious hypocrites of Jesus' day. Friends, the verses here in Psalm 8 remind us that God is big. So much bigger than any human ever can be. His name covers the earth and he can use even the weakest of things to bring about his glory and praise. And then as we continue in verse 3 and 4, we do see King David, when he ponders the bigness of God, just how small even he, the king, really is. Verse 3, when I observe your fingers, the, when I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is I don't know if you look at that picture and if that ever reminded you of your own personal experience, staying out at night in the countryside and just looking up at night and seeing the sheer vastness of our universe, the sheer number of stars that light up the sky and putting yourself in King David's shoe. Maybe King David was remembering back to his shepherd boy days where he'd often camp outside at night with the sheep and look up and go, oh man, look how big this place is. And then question, well, who am I when this place is so big? What is man? I read this week of a minister who once a year researches the latest discoveries in astronomy. And someone asked him, is that really a good use of a minister's time? To which he replied, well, I don't know if it is ultimately a good use of my time, but I'll tell you one thing it does for me. It greatly enlarges my idea of God. As you look up, it greatly enlarges my idea of God. In comparison to God, we are so small. A grain of sand at the beach, a drop of water in the ocean. What is man? It's a great question to ask. But David answers. Mankind might be small, but mankind is very significant, at least according to God. Because as verse 4 continues, David raises the question, what is man? And he begins to answer it, that you remember him, the son of man, that you look after him. According to David, at least in his own personal experience, and I'm sure many of us can testify to it as well, even though we are small, God knows us. He remembers us. And more than that, he looks after us. And Jesus echoes the same idea in the New Testament when he says, the Father in heaven, of course he knows his people. Of course he looks after his people. He knows the very number of hairs on everybody's heads. Granted, that's easier for some than others. But he knows each and every person personally. And of course, how do we not forget two weeks ago at Christmas how much God cares for each of us personally by becoming one of us in the person of the Lord Jesus, living the perfect life, dying the death that we deserve so that we might be lifted up into eternal consciousness now. Mankind is significant because we are personally known and loved by God. But it continues 
in verse 5. You made him little less than God and crowned him with glory and honour. Just meditate on that verse for a moment. This is one of those mango moments in God's word. This is how significant you and I are to God. All humanity is. You made him little less than God. There are many people that think that they are God. But in the big scheme of things, God says, yes, I made you a little less than myself. Humanity is almost divine. That's how significant we are in God's creative order. Mankind is not just a trousered ape, nor just a a complex biological machine. We are unique. We are (laughs) crowned with glory. The same word that's so often used to describe God, he uses it to describe us. He made us just a little less than himself. And that's true for every human being, no matter what they can contribute to society. Every man struggling with anxiety and depression, crowned with glory. Every woman struggling with their body shape, crowned with glory. Every child dealing with cerebral palsy or Down syndrome, crowned with glory. Every elderly person dealing with frailty of mind or muscle, crowned with glory. Not because of what they can do or contribute, but because of who God has decreed them to be. Human. Crowned with glory and honour. And then in verse 6 to verse 9, we see that God not only crowns us, but he calls us to something incredible. Verse 6. You made him... Lord over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all the sheep and oxen as well as the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea that pass through the current of the sea. Yahweh our Lord, how magnificent is your name in all the earth. I don't know what you wanted to be when you were a young child, when you grew up. I wanted to be a firefighter or a pilot or an astronaut, everything that a young boy and many young boys want to be. But here is a position, a vocation that God gives to all people which just transcends any of those young dreams. You made him Lord over the work. 